Hello, this is Rob Pine recording his first ever podcast, Champion of the Underdog. Um, This is going to be the worst podcast ever, and you'll hear the phone moving now because I want to get it closer to my friend Anthony, who I'm talking with today. Hello, Robert. So, Anthony, um, I'm thinking this podcast will be a lot about uh, Champion of the Underdog politically and, and sort of a bit how to survive in difficult times. What do you think? That sounds appropriate for now and for the kind of ideas we have that we want to get people to listen to, yes. I'm not sure if they can hear you. Um, just move the phone a bit closer to you. I'll t- just about there. Yeah, I'll talk down to it. Uh, depending on the sound quality, we might need to get a mic for the second edition. Mike, it's always good to have Mike on board. He's so handy. I tried to get Simon and he wasn't interested in doing the podcast, so we'll see how we go. So, what would you like to talk about today, Anthony? Well, you know, we're all excited that uh, the pandemic numbers seem to have been dropping and that life is returning to some semblance of normality, although there's no normal really, is there? But with things opening up for business again, we've got to be uh, aware of how certain groups of people are potentially going to be worse off or uh, miss out on the things they need at this time. It's quite controversial, but I've certainly heard the line put that uh, the pandemic's given the environment, given the earth, a bit of breathing space. And um, is that something you're concerned about as we move back into uh, full-scale industrial production, that uh, some of the um, clean skies, and we've seen uh, native creatures like a kangaroo hopping through um, the Brisbane, uh, the, the Adelaide city heart. Uh, are you worried that some of the um, native animals and some of the... Uh, Benefits for the environment will be lost as we um, leave the end or, or move back to... Uh, or do you, in fact, think we will ever go back to normal? Well, the captains of industry and uh, all their lieutenants and all that apparatus is going to start gearing up again. Uh, you know, they might give lip service to making a change and being more sensitive and doing things better. But I don't see that really. I think uh, notwithstanding the impact of the pandemic on economies and societies that life will go on and consumption will go on and contractual obligations will go on. And I think it's going to doubly redouble actually. Well, I think it's going to be a bit ad hoc and, and certainly depend where you live. Like you see companies like Amazon that are actually making heaps of money at the moment Jeff Bezos, I believe, is the world's first trillionaire. I think his, his sort of mm. approach to his workforce will be, well, go to work, help me make more money, and if you die, you die. I don't give a fucking rat. And, um, and, and I think in the more sort of unrestricted capitalist economies, um, people are going to get sick and die, and, uh, and those behind the scenes, um, the owners of the means of production, will just make more profits. I think you've summed it up nicely, Robert. That's precisely what's going to happen. And while, you know, there's a bit of a a focus on coal and carbon emissions, and that may go into a downturn, maybe the pandemic's been fantastic for actually short-circuiting the whole coal uh, production line. However, gas is going to be doubly redoubled. Yep. uh, And that's going to cause a lot of problems, both in situ, where they harvest it, in terms of water, in terms of... Uh, um, stray emissions and all those things and the health of the people, the communities around those gas fields 
and the long-term supply of water coming out of those gas fields, but also the methane emissions and uh, the increased methane, the damage that's going to do, uh, the blue ocean event that we're going to get up in the Arctic, uh, the race to develop in the Arctic with the ice no longer being there, all those things are going to pile on each other and it's going to be interesting. Well, just for the benefit of the listener, we're talking to you from uh, Cairns, Queensland in Australia and um, I was a member of uh, the State Parliament here for a little while, one term, and it's almost hard to see where the fossil fuel industry stops and the Liberal National Party starts. So with the LNP in power uh, federally here in Australia, uh, the concern is that uh, they'll be doing the, continue uh, to do the bidding of the gas industry uh, especially. And it seems uh, as we've campaigned against coal, they've said, OK, we'll just move to gas. So have got to be very careful of that. But you see that all around the world, don't you, these... Uh, big companies getting into bed with uh, with government and uh, yeah what you do about it you get active you vote and uh, it seems we're always on the losing side uh, being on the progressive side of politics but personally I think there's hope if we can get the industrial sort of arm of the labor movement the unions working together with environmentalists uh, and indigenous people I think you can build a big groundswell there but um, I've been saying that for years we don't seem to see it happen do we? No, you're right, Robert. You and me and, and uh, many other people who've, uh, you know, been on the hustings and who've worked hard, who've worked civilly, who've worked legally, who've worked in Parliament and with lawmakers and with communities, and we seem to keep going round and round, uh, and they, uh, the capitalists, the captains of industry, uh, the, G- the political elite, they continue to make gains. They continue to... Uh, solidify their position. Um, there's no end in sight. We have to say the S word here, and I hope it doesn't offend too many lesson, listeners, but the socialist word, that the umbrella for all of those things we want to work on, the environmental issues, uh, the social justice issues, the, uh, the equity issues within society, all come under that socialist reform label but you can't say that if you say that you get vilified and too many people distrust the whole notion of socialism well it's amazing how different people can have different perceptions of of that word and uh, as in other words you know language is so important um and perception is important you know i was watching these riots that are happening as we speak in the united states and it was really funny so i was talking to our friend simon this morning and i was saying well look this is the workers out on the street taking on the state. It's a typical social conf- socialist confrontation. And he said, you're probably the only person I know who sees it that way, Robert. <laughs> so, you know, we all um, transpose our own values and beliefs onto the things we see and do. So, um, yeah. yeah, and there's no better example than, than socialism. Some people, without really understanding what it is, see it as an evil or, or, or whatever. Right. But uh, one thing we do know is the goal of capitalism is to fully consume all available resources seeking profit. So if the goal of capitalism is to uh, fully consume all resources it can to deliver profit for the owners of production, well, that can only end in the destruction of the natural world. And um, it's fine to uh, criticise socialism, but how else are we going to restrict the market and stop the great 
the great um, extinction of species we're seeing at the moment throughout the planet. And of course, once all these species are uh, are gone, um, human civilization itself is under threat. And uh, and that's what we see now with climate change. That's exactly what we see. Uh, the warnings have been there. You know, people like me who've been environmental activists for decades say, "Look, you were told." 30 years ago. They were, alarm bells were ringing 50 years ago. Uh, she wrote the book, you know, uh, was it Carson, Rachel Carson, um, wrote that book. How many years ago was that now? 40, 50 years ago. Uh, we know that the fossil fuel companies knew about uh, the global warming effect, the greenhouse effect, decades ago. Uh, we know that technology has been available for decades to circumvent the problems, but it is a little microcosm of the whole, the whole capitalist situation that despite the warnings, despite the writing on the wall, despite the clear and present existential unfolding around us, they continue willy-nilly. And uh, they are so, they're like a giant machine and they got so much momentum and they won't stop. And we have to stop them. I just uh, touched the phone then. I'm trying to see if this is recording and how long it's going. Um, I'd hate to think that we're talking to each other for no reason whatsoever. No, there it's we go. still going. We've been talking for nine minutes and 26 seconds. Well, I did promise this would be our worst ever podcast because my big fear is that I put this onto my computer and we won't be able to hear mm. uh, what we've said. But um, it's one of the reasons I haven't bothered with the backgrounds on, on ourselves. But I should mention, you've done a lot of work, haven't you, with the Wilderness Foundation and various environmental groups over many years. That's right. I uh, started with the Wilderness Society in 1990. Uh, I then worked with the North East Forest Alliance in New South Wales uh, around the same time, right through the early and the mid-90s. I moved to Brisbane and I worked with ANTAR, Australians for Native Title and Reconciliation. That was at the time of the Marbo decision.